0: The title sponsor of Hunt Talk Radio is Leupold. Leupold Optics are the trusted optics of accomplished hunters and shooters. If it has a gold ring on it, you know it was built by American Hands in Beaverton, Oregon. Whether it's a new rifle scope, binocular, a spotter, rangefinder, or eyewear, go to leupold.com to learn more and look for these fine Leupold products at your high-quality retailers. (music) Hey folks, Randy Newberg here. Welcome to Loophole Hunt Talk Radio. Is that- Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Loopold's Hunt Talk Radio. Hope you're doing great. Today we are continuing our discussion on corner crossing. Today I am in the law firm over here with uh, Tom and Nick. And if you haven't, I'd suggest you go back and listen to the two podcasts we did about this time. Yeah, about this time last year. About corner crossing and that laid out a lot of the the background of the facts of the case what happened what the potential outcomes could be the criminal case at that time uh, potential civil cases well as you will hear in this podcast uh, the criminal case was decided a jury found them not guilty of criminal trespass and then the landowner filed a very large case on civil trespass against these same four hunters from Missouri. So we're well into that. Uh, It'll be probably August of 2023 before we really know for sure what the civil case outcome is. But there's a lot of questions being asked. uh, A lot of, I don't know what you'd call it, prognostication of where it's going to go, what it's going to do, what precedent it may set, So I thought, you know what, this would be a really good time to get Tom and Nick back on the podcast. We've spent quite a bit of time working on an outline for this podcast, coming up with the talking points, the questions, the relevant issues at hand, Uh, and hopefully when we're all done, you got a pretty good pathway of how the process is going to work from here forward and what the possibilities could be of any outcome nobody's really given their their uh (laughs) they're not odds makers let's put it that way uh stating oh it's gonna go this way or it's gonna go that way we're gonna explore all of the ways it could go so appreciate you being here uh stay tuned because in about five seconds tom and nick are gonna be on the podcast with me appreciate it Well, folks, I hope you have a cup of coffee and a comfortable chair because this is the third podcast we are doing about this topic called Corner Crossing. And I'm back at the law firm with Tom and Nick, Tom Stonecipher, Nick Vandenbos, uh, and they have, well, thank you guys for being here today.
1: And, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, Thank you. Uh,
0: thanks for having been so helpful in the prior two podcasts. Um, we got to the point I was over here about a month ago talking to Tom and Nick and what, Nick sends me updates about every case. Tom sends me bits and pieces that he reads about stuff cases related to this or issues related to this and so when I was over here I thought well let's outline another podcast because we're kind of at that point where the criminal case has been decided we now have a pending civil case and I asked you guys be thinking about podcast number four after this civil case is decided so that We know where it might, one, the findings of that case, but where it might go from there. So uh, you guys have put together a great outline for us to follow, but we're going to have a whole lot of rabbit holes to follow as as we always do. The field is full of rabbit holes. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm. I'm going to ask you guys to kind of walk through the, the intro, and by that, you guys have put together an introduction where you think it's helpful to give some background of where we're at in the process so far. So I'll let you guys do it, because I'm an accountant. You guys are attorneys. I'll mess it up.
2: Hmm. You might be. Well, you could be a lot more precise. I think we're going to find, Randy, that there is not a lot of precision in this case and where we're going right this minute. Huh. There's more to come, more to come, but you can't solve it with numbers. That's yeah. true. <laughs> no that's debits true. and credits. No debits one. and credits. No.
1: Well, where are we at? I mean, you, you talked about, Randy, uh, already that the criminal case is done. The jury said not guilty there. Uh, that's, that's gone. Um, but we are now watching another lawsuit play out, which is the civil case that's currently in the federal district court in Wyoming, Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, iron bar holdings, which is the entity that owns the elk mountain ranch has, has sued these four, uh, hunters from Missouri. Uh, and, uh, the case has, has wound up in federal court. It didn't start there, but that's where we are now. And we're watching that process play out. We think, uh, it's likely, uh, probably going to be done based on the schedule that the court has set out, uh, probably towards the end of this summer coming up, so mid-year or or a little bit after, but it's in the process right now.
2: We'll we'll have a trial.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. And for those listening, the criminal case was held in Carbon
0: County, Wyoming, and it was just a jury deciding whether these four hunters from Missouri did or did not violate the criminal statutes of Wyoming in what they did, and the jury said no. Yes, that's correct. So that, that's A lot of people seem to think, well, that makes everything just fine and dandy. Uh, yeah, and that's wrong. Yeah. And, but the bigger issue where a lot of this stuff really sorts itself out, it seems like, is the civil case. So a criminal case is the state making a claim against a citizen that you violated one of our laws. A civil case is two parties arguing over if someone's rights have been violated. Am I right in saying that? Well, or? kind of. Okay. A, a kind how, of. how would you say it?
2: Well, it, it, the civil case is a, is a civil claim of, of action. The criminal case, the question is, did you violate the Wyoming criminal law? Yeah. That's done. There's also civil causes of action, like if someone runs into you in Mm -hmm. a car. Right. Now you have a civil cause of action for negligence against the driver of the car. Right. Here, there is also a civil cause of action for trespass. Mm -hmm. Somebody drives a bulldozer onto your property, damages your land, that's a trespass. Yeah. And you can get money for that. It's a cause of action, a private one. Yeah. And that's what we have here with the ranch owner saying when these hunters stepped across one, from one public section to another they entered the airspace yeah on land above the land the rancher owned and the rancher is now making a civil claim that that is a trespass onto my land and and the law gives you a remedy a private remedy of damages yeah for that kind of action and you can get an injunction which the rancher is looking for here yeah to say to people like the hunters don't ever do this again Yeah. if this is a violation of Wyoming law or a violation of just common law and rights a property owner has. That's what's going on in the civil case now.
0: This is the rights that a property owner has under common law. And one party's asserting, I own all the airspace and you can't step over it. And if you do, you've damaged me in some way. It's, Is that a simplified way? Yeah,
2: it's a simplified okay. way of doing it, but that's 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 certainly it. That's what's in the ballpark.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. And in order to make that claim, if I'm the landowner in this case or the, the plaintiff, I have to have some sort of... I, I have to present the court some basis for my claim, correct?
2: You have to prove facts yeah. which show that you have a claim.
0: Yeah. And then I also, if... I prevail, I have to somehow show what my
1: damages are, correct? Correct. Yep. You also have to have some facts that, that show that uh, you, were, you were damaged in some way. And uh, the standard that, that the, of evidence that we, we use is called the preponderance of the evidence uh, in these scenarios. And that just means, uh, you know, more likely than not, it's the 51% standard. Did the scales tilt in your favor or do they tilt away from you? Okay. And that's the that's the standard you have to overcome to say I've proved my claim.
2: Yeah. So, as as opposed to beyond a reasonable doubt, which right. is the standard in a criminal trial. in a criminal trial, mm-hmm. right?
0: So, I'm that's what I'm trying to get people to understand is a criminal trial has a whole different set of protocols, procedures, findings, and outcomes than what a civil case does. Now, in a civil case, if I'm the defendant, I have to defend myself to say, one, know that I didn't violate your rights in some way, shape, or form. Uh, and I end up having to hire attorneys to defend myself. Praise um, the
2: Lord, Randy. Praise the Lord.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, these
2: civil cases are
0: the Attorney Full Employment Act on both sides. Yep. So oh, yeah. uh, Tom was laughing and joking when he said that. But uh, the the point of it, being is that if I am the defendant in a civil case, I have a, I, I better get good legal counsel. First of all, Uh I can ask, and I think, did, did these four hunters ask for dismissal? They did. Of the claim. Yeah. And in that dismissal process or act, you know, however that works its way through, an awful lot of things come come to the surface of, one, what is the claim made by the the plaintiff, two, what are the, the defenses or, or the assertions made by the defendant, but the court, the judge then has to rule whether or not they will dismiss, and if they do or don't, either way, it kind of gives us a little bit of what the law in question is that the judge is focused on. Is that
1: fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say.
2: Th- that's fair to say. And, and to set the table, mm-hmm. it, just for this just This is a what secondary. we're
1: trying to do here in the first right. 10 minutes.
2: So we have a civil trespass case by the rancher. Yep. Says, you trespassed on my land. I want a court order to say you should stop, and I want damages. Yep. And he files that case in Carbon County State Court. Doesn't yep. ask for a jury. Right.
0: Oh, right. He did not
2: ask for he a jury. He did not ask for right. a jury. And... Um, um, in, in the court he filed it in, you have to have at least $50,000 at issue in the state court. In the state court, okay. Right. The defendants, the four hunters, yeah. they're from Missouri. The ranch is a North Carolina LLC entity that owns it. Yeah. And you have diversity of citizenship right. between the parties. And right. without ha- giving a legal lecture, that allows a litigant, the defendants, to remove the case out of Wyoming state court into Wyoming federal court. Okay, that's just a, that is a federal statute that allows that to happen. Okay, if you have seventy five thousand dollars in controversy.
0: Well, this guy said it's what seven point five million. At,
2: at first, he said we don't have seventy five thousand dollars at issue here. Judge, remand this court, this case back to state court. We don't. You have. They haven't met the seventy five thousand dollar threshold. Oh. The court looked at the pleadings and said there, reason, there is reasonable facts here which show the damages possibly at issue exceed $75,000. We're going to keep it in federal court. Okay. And in the course of the federal case, the rancher has claimed $7.5 million in damages <laughs> caused by this this trespass. Uh, so... On the surface, 7500000
0: million doesn't even meet the laugh-out-loud test. It's... But...
2: We we could do a podcast on damages here. (laughs) We'll we'll
0: get into some of that because I've been an expert witness in many cases as a CPA. You get asked to be an expert witness in calculating damages in a lot of these cases. So we might touch on that, but I'm I'm mostly interested in... uh, Thanks for talking about how we got to federal court. And the federal court in Wyoming, it's not like it oversees all of Wyoming. And, and the reason I want to make a distinction that this is one district of a federal court in Wyoming is down the road, it, depending on what the outcome of the case is, it may only apply to that district. So of the federal court, cause you could have a different judge. In yeah. Wyoming. So you
1: have in, so you have in Wyoming there, it is a, a, a one federal district and you have different, um, uh, federal judges within that district. Right. Um, and the uh, I think what you're what you're asking about is you know what does it mean a decision out of this right out of this court uh, which will which we'll get in due time here and uh, it really gets into the question of uh, well what's the what's the effect of a of a federal district court decision mm-hmm. uh, and we talk about that in terms of precedent that's the the legal term that we use for that and uh, precedent is is the uh, the rule that Courts uh, where they're obligated to have to follow the decisions of of superior courts, courts that are higher up the chain than they are. Okay. So in the federal system, the federal district courts, wherever you are, they all have to follow the decisions of the circuit court, which is the next level up within which they sit. Mm-hmm. And then they also then all the courts ever have to follow the decisions of the United States. Supreme court. Right. So the district court opinion or district court decision by itself is not precedentially binding on any one court. Otherwise Uh, it uh, can have what we'd call some persuasive uh, effect or, you know, you have a court that's addressed an issue courts will often then uh, if they're looking at a similar issue, try to figure out how, you know, a, a, a sister court has, has, reasoned out the decision so you can have some persuasive effect there but it's not a binding effect that it sets the law for everyone okay
2: a, a phrase that they use in those situations randy is the law of the case the law of the, case. the law of the case so we have this case right and when that case is decided and the rights of the ranch and the hunters are determined that's it that's the law for them right. that does not mean that if somebody else goes out and steps across the corner, in a di- in just in a, sep- a separately
0: yeah. that
2: the law of this particular case we're talking about right now applies to them. It doesn't mean that. Okay. This will decide the rights of these parties here. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. Then as Nick talked about, if we go up on appeal to the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals,
0: where Wyoming is in the Tenth Circuit. Wyoming's mm-hmm. in the Tenth Circuit. As are some other states: Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, I think. But, yeah.
2: Maybe Utah. Um,
0: yeah. So uh maybe we'll get into that <clears throat> a little more as as we go along but uh the the point you were going to tom and and uh nick you you'd made this pretty clear in an email that you sent me that the the whole way that this federal system works uh you end up where these guys these for hunters, uh, are, are having to defend themselves against this person because now we're in federal court. As Tom you said, we're, we we ended up over seventy five thousand dollars in in controversy. Claim, in, yep. in controversy. So uh, this process goes along. We do these pleadings. The and, and this is where I'm I'm getting to Nick, because the hunters ask for dismissal. Yep. And in the dismissal, you were reading to me some of the points the judge made when he said, well, I'm not going to dismiss this case. And some people are taking the fact that the judge didn't dismiss it as though that's the law or that means the hunters are screwed.
2: Let me, let me, let me set the stage just a little more right sure. before yep. Nick jumps into that um, this case now pending in federal court, a federal court applies state law. This is a state law claim. Yep. Um, and so, and the federal court, as would a state court, also applies applicable federal law. Mm-hmm. So the way this thing is set up now, after the case comes into federal court, the defendants answer the claims. Right. And they raise a bunch of defenses to, those, to the trespass claim. Yep. One is, under Wyoming law, we... If we invaded, well, they did invade the airspace of the ranch, that is not a trespass. That's one of the defenses the defendants have raised.
0: Right. They've said, even if we did this, based on the facts and whatever, this is not a civil trespass.
2: This is not a civil trespass. Okay. Another claim they have raised, and that's going to be, I think, the meat of our discussion today, is there is a federal act that came in the late 1800s called the unlawful enclosures act. It's a federal law that says and none of what we're going to talk about today is legal advice about this act because it's a it's a work in progress. It's still evolving. Decisions under it. But that act says it's unlawful for private landowners to handle their land in the checkerboard yeah. in such a way that what they're intending to do is to keep the public out of public land. Right. And the defendants are saying this act applies here as a defense to the civil trespass claim. And if they win, if, and the defendants are saying if, if this is the case and the Unlawful Enclosures Act applies, we win because this could not be a civil trespass. It violates federal law, what the ranch did yeah. in fencing us out or keeping us out violates federal law. Okay. And after they filed that answer without any discovery or any more facts, just looking at the complaint and the answer, the defendants moved to dismiss this case on the basis that it's crystal clear the Unlawful uh, Enclosures Act prohibits this action by the defendants by the plaintiff mm-hmm. and this wasn't a trespass that's what the motion to okay. dismiss was about yeah okay. so
1: and that's in the uh the only uh arena i differ you with you on that tom is just in the timing because you have to file the motion before you file an answer if you're going to file your motion to dismiss but it's the okay yeah right. Yeah, like, but that but I'm that's the that is the tom set it up i think exactly right where the, the hunters, uh, they filed a motion with the court. The motion is just a request uh, to the court uh, to take some action. Uh, and they said, uh, we'd like you please to dismiss this case because uh, it doesn't state a claim that uh, relief can be granted for. And that just means that it fails to plausibly allege uh, facts that would support the claims that are being advanced so that the claims have to fail as a matter of law. And that's the standard that the court looks at. It Just looks at the at the complaint, what's been alleged by the by the ranch in this mm-hmm. case. Uh, it looks at the arguments that the parties make, the legal arguments, and then it comes to a conclusion to answer the question of whether this complaint states a plausible claim for relief. Okay, that's the task that the court has when it's dealing with a motion to dismiss in in the in the federal court system. And uh, what the court did here was a couple of things. Uh, first, uh, as Tom uh, alluded to, one of the defenses that's raised by the hunters is the Unlawful Enclosures Act. Mm-hmm. Uh, the court says, yes, you can raise that as a defense in this case. The, the ranch had argued that that law didn't apply. And the court said, no, it, it's okay. You can raise it as a defense. In fact, we have uh, precedent uh, that it's, uh, it's viable as a defense in an action between private parties. Uh, and then the second piece that the court did was say, well, I think that this uh, complaint does state a plausible claim and I need to see more facts before I reach a final conclusion. So I'm not going to allow, uh, I'm not going to dismiss this lawsuit. I'm allow the lawsuit to proceed forward, mm-hmm. but uh, there's some factual questions that, that are going to be important to to consider. So the, questions that the court appears to be interested in are, uh, location of, of fencing or use of fencing. Um, and that I think would go to the question of the Unlawful Enclosures Act. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, I think one big question as well is, you know, how much of the, how much of the airspace do you, do you get if you're the landowner or what amount of invasion of the airspace can, actually qualify as a trespass. Yeah, And the court wrote in that uh, order that it issued is to say, uh, hey, the law recognizes at least to an extent that a landowner- ex- To an extent. To an extent. Yeah. To an extent. It's not a hard and fast. And as as will probably become apparent as we talk about this, and if anyone out there has had the misfortune of having to contact a lawyer, or the good fortune, I would say, <laughs> thinking right. um, uh, you've, you've probably heard the it depends answer. And that's not to be evasive, but it's just to reflect the fact that uh, really this idea that there's hard and fast rules out there that are simple to grasp and everyone can understand them. We can get you a, a clean cut answer on every question just isn't reflected in the in the way that the law works. But what the uh, the court said is, yeah, you do have it looks like the law recognizes at least to an extent you have this right to your airspace. Um So much, at least to the extent that you can practicably use it. So
0: So that's what the court said in their refusal or their rejection of the claim to dismiss. That's right. They said, we recognize there is some right to airspace, Mm -hmm. but they didn't define to what extent. That's right. The landowner owns that airspace. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because some people are reading into that, uh that somehow that 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 refusal to dismiss or declining the the motion to dismiss is uh, oh we won oh, oh you know no. that that establishes that see the landowner does have that right it's it seems like this judge is being very careful in wording that hey there's there's this has never really been decided there's some that goes this way some that goes that way so we know that it exists to some extent, but we don't know to what extent.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think you have in, you know, judges generally are, uh, they want to have a good understanding of the issues and the, and the facts of a case uh, where it seems like it's going to be a close question or a question that doesn't have a, of a clear answer to it. And I think that's a lot of what you see reflected in the, in the, in the uh, court's order there to say, you know, there's. Some ins and outs here, and we need to see how this plays out before we, before the court is going to enter a, a final order in the case.
2: Yeah. Right, and, and one of the things going on here that we've talked about, Randy, is that here's the judge saying, you know, I'm not certain about airspace. Yeah. Well, the law's not certain about it. We're going to we're have to look at it here and develop more facts. Cases yeah. are decided on facts. Yep. You get down on your knees, you worship the facts in the case, <laughs> you do. And then once the facts are established, then you apply the law. Yeah. But uh, something else that's going on here, if landowners think this is a, a signal that the judge is in their favor, I think that's a misreading of yeah. his opinion, because what the judge is also doing is saying, I'm not going to make a decision now that the Unlawful Enclosures Act applies, but it might. Yeah. And we're going to develop more facts here. And if the Unlawful Enclosures Act applies, then the question becomes, how does that apply to airspace, trespass, and things like that? So the defendants might have a complete defense, Yeah, whether there's, under Wyoming law, trespass or not, if the Unlawful Enclosures Act applies. So there's something in this opinion right now that hunters can smile about and something that ranchers can smile about. But yeah. we're in the we're like in a canoe in the middle of a class 4 rapid right now. <laughs> we are and yeah. we're going down. That's what this case is. Yeah. And we're heading down and it ain't going to stop until we get a decision. So you can't read it one way or another at this point, I think.
1: Okay. And I think to jump on top of that, one one point that's worth making here too and you think about how a court works, you know, those of us who are outside the process and watching this unfold and reading news articles about it and, and uh, following coverage uh, you know, everyone has a lot of ideas based on the, on what they've read and, and, uh, and seen or heard. Uh, But that's different than the facts that are in front of a court. The court's not at liberty to go out and start uh, deciding cases based on a, on a news article or, something that uh you know someone heard from a buddy about you know what 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 this how this case should be decided the court really? the court's obligated to look at the facts that are that are uh, properly presented to it so it's got yeah. a it's got a more limited window that it's looking at this case through than probably a lot of the folks who are who are listening or thinking about this do and that's just the nature of the way a court works yeah so the court says no I'm not going
0: to dismiss this case we're going to go forward the hunters Either before or after this thing, ask for a jury trial.
2: Uh, when they ask for a jury trial, yes, in federal court.
0: Right. Yeah. So, why why would a defendant want a jury trial, and why would a plaintiff not want
1: a jury trial? <laughs> this is a good. This is a good question.
2: It's a good. It, it it is a good question. Um, and what juries do? <clears throat> Juries find facts, like I talked about. you yep. get down on your knees and worship the facts, yeah a jury is a fact finder, and um if you don't have a jury, a judge is a fact finder, right right, and then the law is applied yep. and um I may get this wrong because as a thought swirl through my mind, but if if you are In this particular case, a plaintiff. Right.
0: I'm a hunter from Missouri. I'm one of the four guys. I'm like, I want a jury. Yeah. Why why would I be advised I want a jury? Because I suspect their legal counsel told them, we're going to ask for a jury trial.
2: Totally. Mm Totally. Um, and that's why you had a, You don't have to have a jury trial in a criminal case either. You can have right. the judge decide the facts. Yeah. Uh, but one of the reasons the defendants would want a jury is they are sympathetic. Mm-hmm. It's a classic case from the beginning of time. Right. Oh landowner powerful individual against (laughs) against ordinary citizens right
0: which is why we have this term jury of our peers right because (laughs) there were a lot of people who came from europe who didn't feel like they got a jury or if they did it wasn't a
1: jury of their peers right yeah that's that's exactly in fact the jury system is kind of a uniquely american is it institution well
2: common law started there was a jury in in england Mm -hmm. but but it's a common law principle that came and there's it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Yeah. You, can be, uh, you can be the head of Microsoft, right? And you can sue some, your gardener yeah. in, for, for uh, destroying your begonias in Redmond, yeah. Washington. Uh-huh. And guess what? A jury can decide that Microsoft, the head of Microsoft, is wrong, or, or he's got to pay the gardener. That's the beauty of a jury, yeah. is that they're not influenced in the same way other people can be influenced by powerful individuals. Yeah. And that would be a reason why the rancher might not ask for a jury.
0: Right. I can see a rancher thinking, you know what, I don't, I don't want a bunch of these commoners out here deciding this case. But since he's the plaintiff and not the defendant, he doesn't get to decide, Correct.
2: Well, he could ask for a jury if he wants. But but
0: but, but if, I mean, if the defendants say, I want a jury, he can't say, wait, no, you don't get a jury. I want it. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Either,
2: yep. either side can ask for a jury. Right. And, and what's interesting here, and here's where, Nick, I'm a little bit at a loss.
0: Well, folks, application season is winding down, and then it becomes planning season, it becomes gear season, and then it becomes hunting season. And all of those things that you need are out at Go Hunt. Go Hunt is a sponsor of the Hunt Talk podcast. If you go out there and you want the one stop shop for everything the Western Hunter needs, that's the place to find it. When you go to the shop and use promo code Randy, they're going to give you discounts on regular priced items. And when you sign up for Insider and use promo code Randy, they're going to put $50 of credit in that gear shop just for you. GoHunt.com, promo code Randy, go there and do it. Nosler Ammunition is the official ammunition of Hunt Talk Radio and every other platform that we produce. Nosler was founded in 1948 by John Nosler and over that time Nosler Ammunition has proven time and again why so many hunters and shooters trust Nosler. Whether it's Nosler bullets, components, or their premium grade ammunition, Nosler's reputation at quality shines through. We shoot exclusively Nosler E tips, Acubons, and partitions in all of our rifles. And all of those can be found at Nosler.com or look for them at fine Retailers Near You.
2: When this case in federal court goes to the jury, we're going to have a couple of things going on. We're going to find facts. Mm -hmm. And then there's going to be a question Does the Uniform or the uh, Unlawful Enclosures Act apply? Mm hmm in this in this case based on these facts and i'm struggling a little bit to say will the jury decide that after they find the facts or will the judge
1: it's a tough i I, well because we're kind of in this a little bit of untrodden territory as you say that you know your general rule is that the the jury is the fact finder in a jury trial the jury finds the facts and then the jury is instructed in the form of jury instructions mm-hmm. on what the law is, and that's provided to them by the court. Right. So the that's court says, "Here's what the law that you are going to apply to the facts that you find is. Apply that law and arrive at a decision. Report back to us what your decision is." So that, the court makes the decision about what uh, what law applies. What's interesting here, not to get too deep in the weeds, is you know, as as the facts are. If, if there are key facts that the jury has to has to consider or make a decision about like let's say the nature of a of a, of an enclosure if if there is an enclosure in the case or whether two posts on a corner are an enclosure or something like that that may well have a have a kind of determinative effect on on what law applies but i think that the court is still going to say here's what the law is that that we instruct you with and even before that, the lawyers for both sides are going to have arguments about how the jury should be instructed. They're going to submit instructions that they want to go to the jury to the court, and the court's going to have to decide what instructions go there.
2: That's right. That's right. That, that's thanks for refreshing for that. That because it'll be a jury that decides. I think here, somebody will stand up and say, "We, the jury, find here are the facts, and either the plaintiff wins." Mm-hmm. Defendants win, um, like the either the Unlawful Enclosures Act, which is probably the jeweled bearing upon which this is going to turn here. Okay. To. Either it applies in this particular case based on these particular facts, or it doesn't. Yeah. And who knows how that's going to come out. Nobody should do anything at this point. I'm think, thinking particularly of hunters. Yeah. Who are excited by this. I mean, if they get access to a lot more public land. Right. Now is not the time to go out and think you have a increased rights or more rights uh, yeah. to to do anything. It's this is in process, yeah. and don't behave.
0: Don't don't read into this. Don't read into on this. Based right down at the coffee shop.
2: That's right. That's yeah. right. Don't think it's going to happen. And for ranchers too, ranchers might want to be careful about how they handle their corners oh, also. for
0: sure, because right now uh, I'm getting getting peppered from with emails from people who want to see the the landowner prevail saying, oh wow, this is a slam dunk, blah, blah. I'm like, all right. You, know, you just think that. Yeah. You know? Uh so we we're now in the process where the motion to dismiss has been declined. We have a jury trial in federal court. Uh now we get into these this process of discovery, because the burden of proof, if I understand correctly, is on the plaintiff to prove they were damaged. Am I correct? To prove there was a trespass and they they
2: were damaged. Yeah. The burden is on the defendants to establish a defense.
0: Right. So it's not like I can just come up with some frivolous reason to file a suit just because I want to piss somebody off. Well, you could, but I, you could, I wouldn't but it, recommend you do it. Hopefully it'd be dismissed. Yeah. You'll, you'll be yes.
2: shocked, shocked at how many times that <laughs> happens in the real world, yeah. Randy.
0: But a good judge is going to dismiss something that's pretty frivolous. Yes. Yeah. So the defendant receives this claim against them. Everybody starts building their case, right? The claim against them has to establish what the assertions are. In other words, you did this to me and you did that to me.
2: Right. But and, based on the facts. Yeah. The mm-hmm. is going to say, dude, you passed through my airspace. You yeah. never touched the soil I own, yeah. but you passed through my airspace. And they're going to try to establish that with facts. Right. And, and then they're going to say, that's a trespass. Give, yeah. me, give me money.
0: And the, it's not like the hunters are, uh, stating that they didn't cross through the airspace they said no we brought a ladder we went right mm-hmm. over at the corner so there's no argument of the fact of what the parties did
2: that's that seems
0: to be the case the, yeah, yeah. The, the argument is how does the law apply if we have any law that does apply and if so and the defendants i.e the hunters are found guilty then what are the damages? yes in in a simplified way of saying where this ends up and where it goes
1: yeah that that's that's right and and here you know what we have is really some pretty simple it's not a terribly factually complex case no you know we're not dealing with the securities exchange commission and a series of rapid fire trades yeah. uh, or something like that. There's, yeah. uh, who knew what? Yeah. When did they know it? Yeah. There's not a lot of that. I think uh, my understanding is uh, that the these facts are, they're pretty simple. It's the, it's the law where it becomes uh, a bit more convoluted and uncertain. Yeah. So the two points seem to be the
0: unlawful enclosures act and the argument over who owns what airspace. And is it a, an exclusive ownership? Is it not? To establish, is that a right that the landowner can... Because if it's established that the airspace is not the exclusive property right of the landowner, it's pretty hard for them to make a case or the court or jury to find that they've been violated.
2: That's that that that's true. And uh, as, as we've talked about here, well, you look at these federal cases that are out there. There's the U.S. versus Cosby, right? Yep. People say, "Okay, this establishes a definitive law about airspace." Well, that's not true. No, it doesn't. There's also Hemming versus Pacific Air Transport that says the air over the over an owner's land belongs to the world. Yeah, belongs to the world is what that case says. Yeah, and then we have this odd coelum docu- doctrine from common law. Blackstone says, "If I own an acre out here, I own it to the center of the earth and to the end of the universe." Yeah, which the web telescope is telling us, is continually expanding, right? <laughs> um,
0: so Blackstone so, didn't have the benefit of that and one, Blackstone's glasses were
2: not that thick uh, <laughs> that he was able to see it. And, and that, 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 actual, that doctrine has been uh, rejected in federal court. They right. say that doesn't apply here. So there, there are arguments on either side mm-hmm. uh, here. And, and that's, so how the, what the law is about airspace is, I think, at, the, at this point, uncertain.
1: I think that's right. Yep. Yeah. I it's part of this long-term process that the law is always going through as it uh grapples with new situations, new fact patterns as we call them that it hasn't been presented yet with. Yeah. And the old uh you know the rules uh, as they're as they're developed over time are faced with these new facts and as the world changes and facts change the law generally tends to change along Along with it, mm-hmm. uh, but it how how quickly does it do that? We don't know. Uh, what's the nature of the change? We don't know.
2: It it gets filled in. I mean, if, for example, in these un, in this Unlawful Enclosures Act.
0: Right. I, I want to I, I want to talk about the Unlawful Enclosures Act because it's. An important part of the defense being made. Oh, it's crucial. And so how do we, let's examine that because here's something that's in my head is when you guys talk about facts and circumstance, we have, I've driven down there. So I had an elk tag in this same exact area in 2019. I drove down there. It showed this as a county road. On the Carbon County map, if you go to the Carbon County-Wyoming Highway Department, it shows this as a road going partway in there. And here, the, the pictures you see of, of how this landowner has prohibited access at a corner by putting up really tall fence posts or pipes or whatever and then locking a chain across there. That is so much the exception to what a normal corner looks like. When I say a corner, most of these corners in the checkerboard area, a large portion of them don't even have any fence. They just have a, a monument marker from the the survey mm-hmm. that says, here's where the corner exists. So there is there is no you know uh not prohibition but no impairments no physical obstacles placed at most of the corners that we deal with and the rest of them usually are just a sheep or cattle fence that is there for the legitimate purpose of keeping the cattle or the sheep within the pastures of the landowner so when we talk about this unlawful enclosures act i want people to understand that the corner where they crossed is significantly uh, uh, like if you had a bell curve this is the way this landowner has obstructed anybody from crossing is such an outlier of the bell curve that it's it's almost not even on the chart you have to have a wide screen up to see how far <laughs> off the the normal bell curve this corner in question actually is in terms of how much obstruction that landowner put up there. And I think that's relevant to how the court would look at the Unlawful Enclosures Act. I but, think you're right. Okay. So I'm I, not out in the weeds on that. I, I no. Think,
2: I think you're right. One, But Nick and I can't pontificate too much about the Unlawful Enclosures Act um, in, in a sense because they're... N- this law was passed in the late 1800s.
0: Yeah, the Johnson County Range Wars of Wyoming is what brought it up, isn't it?
2: I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Cattle, cattlemen, basically cattlemen, and I like beef as much as anybody. Yeah, <laughs> but it was basically cattlemen who were trying to fence in the checkerboard, trying to fence private land in a way to keep sheep out and others. Yeah, and that's what caused the act to be to be filed. So it's eighteen what eighteen eighty seven or something like that. Uh, it's it's passed. Yeah,
1: I think yeah eighteen eighty five maybe a- right 85. in there. Yeah, and
2: yeah. <laughs> one thing I would want I would want hunters and ranchers to do is if they want to read the act, that would help them. Yeah, uh, it's at forty three U.S. Code section six uh, section ten sixty one through ten sixty four. Okay, and the reason you want to read it is that Nick and I have read this a lot. Yeah, we've read the cases. We, there's no case that has ever considered what happens if I'm a guy from Missouri with a rifle and I step from one public section to another in the checkerboard. That case has not been decided.
0: Correct. It's never, it is an undecided part of law.
2: It's an undecided part of law. And then when you read the Unlawful Enclosures Act, it has words like, no person shall by any fencing keep people out generally, but you've got to read the entire act because that's a simplistic version and that's not the law. But if you read this and and then try to apply it here, it's not easy to do. You don't really know. And that's why courts look at statutes and apply them.
0: Based on facts and
2: circumstances. Based on facts and circumstances and what the law is. And these aren't simple statutes. Yeah. They've been applied to sheep herders. They've been applied to antelope.
0: Right. It's so funny. It's like Wyoming is the hotbed of this stuff. It is. The, the antelope case you're talking about, the pronghorn case, is in Carbon County, Wyoming. the <laughs> same exact place. Yeah. In fact, the state of Wyoming in the settlement ended up buying some property over there. Uh, and it's now a wildlife management area. And you can see Elk Mountain. If you're standing on that is property, that right? yeah, it's that's wild. One of them is southwest of Rollins. This is southeast, of where the Elk Mountain case here is southeast of Rollins. There's something about <laughs> the the lack of of crystal ball that the U.S. government had when they started granting these every other section to the railroads back in the 1800s. Yeah,
2: it would have been nice if we were different.
0: Yeah, but, but, but anyhow, but, that, but that's how we find ourselves. And it is. But your point, Tom, is there are a ton of cases out there that have been or that have involved the uh, unlawful enclosures.
2: Yeah, not a ton, about 15 pounds, Randy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. About about 15 pounds. (laughs) They're not that many. And there was a long period of time from the 20s, 1920s to the 70s, when there was hardly any action at all. Really? Yeah. Uh, It just, the laws seemed to be settled Um, or or ranchers and the public got along. Yeah. They got along.
0: Or we didn't have new technology that came along where on this phone that I have right here, within very close accuracy, I have my map, digital mapping, where I can walk right up and almost find a corner pin, even if there's not a fence there. So until this technology emerged, whether it was Google Earth and then all the predecessors from there, we really didn't have the ability to go and do this. Mm. Or nah. it
1: would take you a heck of a long time to be wandering around trying to find that that corner that pin. That corner pin. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that's
0: why this was considered or at least dormant in terms of settled law,
2: It it certainly played a role. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: mean, now I grab my phone or my GPS and I can walk to a point where I'm probably going to get within, you know, 10 or 12 feet of that monument marker and I'll be able to see it there, identify it. Yeah. Sometimes it's not that precise or accurate, but we also have a lot of this ground now fenced. And so cross cross-fence. fenced, cross so.
2: fenced, identified, um, and uh, and the uh, the people who want to access public lands have changed. That right. that group has changed now. There, I don't see too many guys wearing Peruvian outfits running bands of sheep from one side of the mountain to no. the other. Now it's no. guys like you who want to hunt, right? Want right. to hunt on public land? Or if I want to go out and, and pick mushrooms or fish for fish right. in a stream on public land, it's a different yeah. group now.
0: And they're also, and it's not to, this change of the last 10 years I mentioned in technology, in the last 20 to 25 years, what you have seen is the way ranches are marketed of how many times have you seen a listing that says, hey, 20,000 acres. And then in the fine print, it says, oh, 18,000 of this is leased, but your 2,000 of deeded will lock up all this. Mm -hmm. So we've seen this trend of people wanting to leverage their money, come out West and say, Hey, you mean i I can buy twenty thousand acres for the price of two thousand? The buyer thinks of it that way, and the seller thinks, "Oh, my listing broker or my selling agent said, "I can probably get a whole lot more i'm I'm in effect selling the public land public land, yeah, and so we've had a huge change in how these properties are marketed. Under the premise that well no one's ever going to question this so let's the more I can capture the more public land I can capture within my boundaries it's kind of like money you know pennies from heaven or in this case thousand dollar bills from <laughs> oh, yeah. from yeah. heaven and a lot of federal
2: yeah. land well one one point about this that Nick and I have talked about is is uh, the damage figure of seven and a half million dollars yeah. at issue here who knows what that. What that comes from, but maybe it comes from saying, "Wow, if these, if people can access the public sections that I haven't closed, my ranch is going to be worth less." Oh, absolutely, I it mean, will be. That's going to be, mm-hmm. a, and here's, I guess, what I'd say to that, um, because there's some expert witnesses who are opining on damages yeah. in this case. Yeah. If 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 you're surprised as a, a rancher. Or a realtor. Mm-hmm. If you're surprised that someone might make the claim that eventually the public will be able to access public land mm-hmm. within your holdings, if you're surprised by that, you have not been doing your homework. Exactly, because that's always the possibility. And in the U, there's a a, a, a a fellow who writes. Well respected treatises on public land and he talks about the un, uh, the unlawful enclosures Act as having evolutionary vitality
0: what is what does that mean
2: that means that you know what the law is going to be the law will be applied now to people stepping from one public section to another okay. it's still evolving uh-huh. it depends on the facts that are presented and and now we have facts presented that are, hopefully will answer that question but to think that the law was totally settled. And ranchers who owned, who enclosed public land sections uh, would would never have a, have to face the prospect of the public accessing them. Yeah. If you felt that way, you did not do your homework and you didn't understand how the law works. And if you're a buyer,
0: in this case, the defendant from North Carolina, you come out west and you're like, boy, look at this. This is a hell of a deal. Yeah. Uh, yep. If If... I, I think if this case, however far, and we'll get into the appeals and what, where it could go, but if you are this person, who this defendant, who paid... A play,
2: whatever, the plaintiff, the rancher, you mean?
0: Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the rancher, uh, mm-hmm. the plaintiff. If you paid $20 million for this ranch under the premise, because your attorney, your realtor, the title company, everybody encouraged that oh you're really yeah this is the value because you control access to all this if he loses i would be if i was those that realtor that brokerage that title company the attorneys who advise us i'd make sure i've padded up my errors and emissions insurance to a high degree because a lot of these folks are rather litigious They, they, you know, they, they have their own group of attorneys. Oh yeah. Yeah. Something tells me the cannons are going to get pointed away from the four hunters and someone's going to pay.
1: It may be, but here's, here's, I'll say this. Uh, One of the uh, reasons I guess I'm not a good realtor or I'm not a realtor at all uh, is uh, I'd I'd be nervous about making those types of representations to say, Hey, you're, this this will be yours as as well because, as Tom said, uh, since uh, well since the passage of the of the act in 1885 and the uh, Camfield case in 1897 of the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, there's there's been notice that uh, this idea that you just get to do what you want with the uh, landlocked sections of public that are within the the periphery of your property. Uh, is is not uh not built on a on a granite foundation so to speak. Yeah. And uh, yeah w- will there be cannons pointing in different directions? Maybe I don't know. Um but the uh the idea that that this is a settled issue I think is is yeah. been wrong for from the beginning. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you really mistaken. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: and, and just because well my my neighbor sold his ranch and got all this value that doesn't necessarily mean that that is the true value based on sorting out what rights are there or not there.
2: That's true. I, mm-hmm.
0: If I, right totally now, true. with this case in limbo, and this is just the conservative accountant in me, if I was in the ranch brokerage business, I would go to every one of my listings and say, get that shit out of there that says 20,000 acres. <laughs> Because if this case gets settled adverse to the landowner and in the favor of the the defendants, I don't want to be trying to sell and create values that I'm, I really don't have a right to. Someone's... <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a whole part of this case that I think we in the hunting space... We focus on it just okay. um, Now, uh, hopefully, the end result is I get to step over the corners without any problem. There's a whole other part of this a multi billion dollar economy that has people filing, you know, trying to be a friend of the court on this on the other side because they're like, holy shit, you know. Joe wants to sell his ranch at retirement and he's got all this federal land locked up, he's not going to be able to sell it we're squat Mm -hmm. if if this case goes against us. Or, you know, I paid all this value based on this, what might be a false premise, and someday when I want to liquidate... I'm going to
2: take it in the shorts. It might, it might, it so, might be a lot less.
0: So the, there's my point is to illustrate to the listeners that there are multi billions of dollars at stake of value, if depending on how this case ends up, and that's why you're seeing so much pressure, so much advocacy from the side of those who I would say line up with the plaintiff on this of wanting these claims
1: to be held, upheld. Right, yeah, yeah
2: there's a lot. Yeah, the,
1: what we call reliance interests. You yeah. Have, yeah. Uh, what do you have, Neck, reliance? Oh, a, a reliance, you know, you've you've got people who've who've relied on this idea uh, that, as we discussed, there's not been something that's uh, 100% reliable, uh, as has been clear from the law for a long time, uh, but all of a sudden, when that's threatened, then you certainly you're going to have folks who are who are worried about it and worried about what happens to my investment. Did I make a bad deal? Uh, and uh, what could I do to save the deal if if it turns out it did make a bad deal? Yeah,
2: yeah, and I, and I, I mean, I get it. I get it. If I were Mr. Eshelman and I'd bought all this land down in Carbon County, uh, and I'd now understand I might have hunters on my interspersed. Yeah. Uh, between my private sections, I'd, I'd certainly be upset. I, I get that. Uh, but upset doesn't feed, doesn't answer the question or the claim here. Correct. Right. And I'll go back to the thing I said earlier on. To say that anybody is surprised by this issue arising, either a realtor or a landowner, wasn't paying attention. Yeah. Because it's always been there since yeah. this Unlawful Enclosure Act was passed.
0: So... We got the Unlawful Enclosures Act as one of the issues. What are what are the other parts of this that so we need to be paying attention to, and that the courts or the jury will pay attention to?
1: We've got the we've got the Act as you say, and then as Tom mentioned, the the other uh, I think big piece of this is the question of what constitutes a trespass. Yeah, uh, and that we mentioned a bit earlier this question of airspace and how much of the airspace do you get? So the, the jury here, if we get, get down the road to a jury, the jury is going to be instructed on the law. And because it's a federal court with diversity jurisdiction, like we talked about at the beginning, it's going to be applying the law of Wyoming. It's applying the state law. And, uh, under that law, you have a trespass. If you, uh, enter into or cause something to enter into the the land of another while that while that other person has the right to possess the land it's a pretty simple set of uh, legal marks that you need to hit to show that you have a have a trespass um, and the I think the the question here that has got everybody fired up about cosby and Hinman and and airspace and uh, how far you can uh, how low I can fly over your property or uh, when it becomes an intrusion is is that question of well is this is this cognizable? are we going to say that this is a property interest that the law is going to protect the the two feet of air at the geometric point where the where the corner intersects yeah, and that's going to be i think the other big issue in the in the case and will will the jury
0: be asked to decide that or will the judge say, tell the jury, look, I have determined that the law applies in this manner?
1: Or do we know? Well, the short answer is we don't know, but here's, there's, some, there's something that could happen before we get to a jury that's worth, that's worth mentioning. What's that? It's a, what's a called a motion for summary judgment. Okay. So we, we talked a bit about the motion to dismiss. Right. Um, a motion for summary judgment is, is like a motion to dismiss, in that you're asking the the court to make the decision, uh, but what the party has to show is to say, here's the facts of this case. They're they're undisputed. Yeah. There's no dispute about these these facts. Yeah. And uh, when we apply the law to the undisputed facts of this case, we win. That's what we're arguing to you, Judge, in our motion for summary judgment. So the pl- Either side, the plaintiff or the defendant, could ask for summary judgment? That's right. So it's open to both sides. They could both do it. Uh, they may well both do it here because I don't think that the facts are, like we've said, terribly complex. And um, who knows what type of disputes might develop around what actually happened or what the facts are that the court can look at. But again, we're not in a scenario where we're trying to unravel a you know, long financial transaction or something like yeah. that. Or, uh, you know, who was, how foggy it was when you were driving down the road at night when someone pulled in front of you and you T-boned them. You know, those are issues where the questions of what the facts are are a little hazier and the court will often say, okay, jury wants you to decide those facts. Here, maybe the court uh, says, okay, you've got the, these facts, uh, core facts are undisputed. You hunters uh, cross from uh, one public parcel to the other public parcel. You use the ladder, you didn't set foot. On the, uh, on the ground, uh, but by virtue of passing through there and the nature of geometry, you, you must have crossed through some of that airspace. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the court uh, could, in that instance, make a decision, apply the law to those facts and, and reach a decision about, one, whether the UIA was a defense to the claims that are brought by the, uh, by the ranch, and two, uh, whether this is actually a trespass. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It could be, and there's actually one thing, Nick brought this up to me, um, because I'm old and decrepit napping <laughs> nap in my office, and Nick was actually doing research. Uh, but, but one thing at issue here, Randy, are damages.
0: Oh yeah, for I mean, sure. The, That's
2: the damages. And, and and Nick and I are talking about holy cow, the ranch has claimed seven and a half million bucks in damages for for four guys from Missouri <laughs> with muddy boots, right? <laughs> yeah. Passing through airspace <laughs> an inch and a half above these private these private parcels. Yeah. And the question becomes, well what? You've damages. It's a causation argument. Right. You have to cause damages. Exactly. Now that's actual damages. they are punitive damages. I'm not talking right, about right, that. Right. Right.
0: But actual financial damage.
2: Yeah. The actual actual damage from this trespass, and and what the ranch is arguing, I think, is like mm-hmm. a condemnation case. Right. If you take this from me, yep. Then the remainder is damaged horribly, yep. and you have to pay that damage. Yep. I don't think that's the way that trespass works. No, I, I, I'm trying
0: to follow through that logic. So the very first thing would be, okay, what, what if even the plaintiff said, yep, sure, we we we, we committed civil trespass? The hunters said that. Or, yeah, I'm sorry. I keep saying the wrong thing. The hunters, the defendant, said that. What if they did that, even though they haven't, what would be the damages? You'd ask the jury. Yeah. And if I'm sitting on a jury, and as an expert witness who's many times had to look over at that jury to try read what they're thinking, if I'm on that jury, you're going to convince me that your property is damaged by $7.5 million? It would be a very hard sell. It seems like a big lift. Good luck with that. Pick, big and, lift. That's, yeah. yeah. That's right. Because big on lift. that jury... Heaven forbid there's a CPA on that jury. We always get kicked off juries. No bad. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. I, I have I've been called for jury duty so many times, and as quick as I say my profession is, I'm a CPA. Usually, one party or the other wants me dismissed. I've never had to sit on a mm. jury. I've been been involved as an expert witness in I don't know how many cases, but I have ne- I've always been booted out of the jury pool.
2: It's one of the reasons to pick that as a career choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But So the,
0: the point is, even if these hunters said, yeah, okay, I'm going to raise my hand. I'm going to plead guilty to civil trespass, which they haven't and they shouldn't. How would you calculate that level of damages? Because I, I've been through multiple courses, training on calculation of damages. It's usually an impairment of an asset value. Mm-hmm. It's the loss of Either current or future profits, or it's the imposition of a cost and liability, past, present, or future, and you come up with some present value of all yeah. that. There's a formula for how you do this. That's the methodologies are accepted. There, it's not like th- some party gets to just pull this out of their ear. Right. The court said. I've always been in. Uh, have held certain standards of the methodologies used to calculate damages. Mm -hmm. And so uh, just this amount itself causes me to laugh out loud. But I think the point you're making, Tom, is this, you know, remainder value. In other words, the fact that you've done this now... The Hunt Talk Radio podcast is brought to you by Mystery Ranch Backpacks. For years, I've been using Mystery Ranch Packs. It might be the Metcalf or the Beartooth, the Sawtooth or the Pintler. No matter which Mystery Ranch Pack you choose, here's how you can save 10% on your purchase. Go to the Go Hunt Gear Shop, gohunt.com, put a Mystery Ranch Pack in your cart, and when you check out using promo code RANDY, you're going to save 10% off that pack and most of the other regular priced items in your cart. Mr. Inch backpacks, can't beat them. Go check them out. Ha- has created a very small remaining value to my asset.
2: It's really reduced it. And Now, now the, the difference would be if the federal government had come along and mm-hmm. condemned right. a four-foot access across this corner. Yeah, now you'd have to have, you could have, make an argument that here's how it damages the remainder of right. my 20-odd thousand acres. Yeah. But that's not the case here. It's people no. stepping from one to another. Correct. They uh, are saying this right
0: It has always existed, the right for me to do this, and therefore I'm not guilty mm-hmm. of this.
2: Yeah, it, it, it would be an odd result if a court would find or a jury would find what the hunters did was lawful. And now we're it's way down the road. It is not the case now. But right. if you can step from public section to public section, um, it would be bizarre to say, because we're now engaging in lawful activity, I owe you money. Yeah. Because it diminishes the value of your ranch. That mm-hmm. That's not the way the law works.
1: Well, it's fundamentally contrary to the way that damages work, which yeah. is they're... The idea behind a damage is to try to make someone whole for a wrong that has been done Man to home. them, yeah. and if a wrong has not been done, then who do we make whole? Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's that's where we start to uh, start to chase our own tails on this yeah. on this topic of of the of the damages. And and Tom had mentioned the you know one one measure is to think about the the devaluation or the remainder value of the property. But here we have a, a trespass allegation, which is uh, a temporary. Uh, the facts alleged is a temporary invasion of the of the airspace. So then right. the question is, how does that permanently devalue? Right. It doesn't cause yeah. any physical injury to no. the to the property. Um, so we can't go out and say, all right, well, you know, you you spilled a, a, a truckload of a salt water. And now I can't uh, grow anything on this, this part of my property. And that was a trespass. And here's how I can articulate my damages. You don't have that here. Uh, And uh, if it's a, if it's a temporary uh, invasion, which is what's, what's being alleged, then uh, what, what would make the landowner whole for that temporary invasion? What's the, what's the, what's the price for that? And uh, and I don't know how you get there.
0: Well, in all the training i've had when you have a temporary damage you don't you you disclude or you ex, uh, exclude the impairment methodology mm. because it was temporary okay it's not impaired now no. it, it, we told you you can't do this anymore it's it's temporary mm-hmm. it, it hasn't impaired the value of that so when it's a temporary uh trespass We've always deferred to the methodologies we use are, okay, I was running an outfitting business and you ran off a bunch of clients and they didn't pay or blah, blah, blah. Or because you were temporarily there, I had to send a bunch of my employees there, you did this, you that, whatever. So if it's a temporary act, the methodologies of lost profits or additional costs incurred could could be in play but usually the flow chart you go through is if this is not a permanent activity the impairment value the impairment methodology the court should reject that as as a method for for calculating damages
2: we would we would hope
0: that that's mm-hmm. if you went through if i handed the judge or the jury my textbooks for how damages are calculated, they would go to the very first chapter on impairment, and it would say, impairment is used for permanent damages, damages that permanently impair the value of an asset, an action.
2: Right. But. But, but we're talking about civil damages. Right. Don't forget, a trespass is a tort. Right. And if it's an intentional tort... Sometimes that opens up the opportunity for a plaintiff to collect punitive.
0: Exactly. Damages. Right. I'm I that's I'll I let, <laughs> I'll let you attorneys worry that's, that's about punitive one. and other damages. That's,
2: that's a, no, but you but. can see how well, there was a case in Wisconsin. We talked about it in the yeah. last podcast. Drag yeah. a trailer forty feet across somebody's field, yeah. punitive damages one hundred grand. Yeah. And so there that's right. that's around here. But one thing I want to yeah. say as we have this conversation, this stuff is so freaking fascinating. In a way, I mean, it's. I don't mean to diminish it at all. The hunters have had their freedom threatened, and they yeah. beat that in the criminal case. Yep. They're now being asked to pay, at least in, face an allegation, of millions of dollars in damages. Yep. We've got a landowner uh, and who who is thinking, holy cow, I thought I owned X and controlled it, and now I have Y. Yeah. I mean, this is a serious case. And the implications for hunters in this country... Could be monumental right. if this case keeps going up. Yeah, and, uh, but and the is,
0: implications for people in a similar situation to the plaintiff, who have spent collectively billions of yeah, dollars mm-hmm. on ranches. It's huge for them, also. It's
2: huge for them, and it is, it is utterly fascinating. It's one of the things, to me, it's an, it's an advertisement why you want to become a lawyer, to deal with this,
0: <laughs> you know,
2: to just, just to be able to think about, think about these issues. But, but one thing I want to come back and bang the drum on this mm-hmm. um, is that there is nothing we've talked about today, and there is nothing decided in this case so far which should make anyone think they can access public land by stepping from one corner to another.
0: Without the threat of...
2: Without the threat or the possibility of that being unlawful. Yeah. Uh, you, you you can't make that decision yet, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, is it possible that through this process at this court, whether it goes to appeals, I think it will go to appeals regardless of the outcome, because there's a lot at stake here, uh, that the final decision could say, yeah, you know what? This was civil trespass, but the damages are zero.
1: You can have a trespass with no damages. Exactly. So so
0: that's my point is in in the case of hunters, what if, you know, we, we hold ourselves out to be property rights advocates? I do. And this is why... Eight years ago, when I hired another well-respected law firm, who you guys know, they led me down a what-if scenario of, okay, because I was going to do almost verbatim of what these guys did, other than I was going to call the landowner and say, hey, I'm going to be doing this opening morning of elk season. So, you know, get the sheriff or get the game warden out there. And this law firm walked me through what the likely outcomes were. And what they painted as a picture is pretty much the roadmap of where we got to other than no... And they did not paint a picture of some crazy case where I'd be sued for $7.5 million. They did did not paint the case that this could end up in a federal court like this one has. But when that happened... They said, you know, it's possible that you could be found uh, not guilty on criminal trespass. But we think it's very likely, and this was just their opinion, not, not having the benefit of all these cases and arguments and pleadings. They said, we think it's very likely you could be found guilty of civil trespass with close to zero damages. And this is where it created a problem for me. As a property rights advocate, if this was civil trespass, no,
2: I see what you're saying. Yeah,
0: where the if the damages were zero or the damages were fifty thousand, I wasn't going to do it, just because of my belief of you know property rights. I I was not going to do this. So one of the things that I'm thinking about in this case is, after we're all done, the court says. And I'm not saying it will, but it's a possibility. The court says, yeah, it's civil trespass, but there's there's de minimis damage, you know, 10 bucks. You know, put a little donation cup at the corner of every section, and hunters, your damages are $10. Put $10 in the cup, and off you go. Have at it. Yeah, I'm painting a a picture that, uh, you know, no one's going to put a cup at the corner and say, make your $10 donation. But... There, there's a lot of possible outcomes here, and one of them could be that the unlawful enclosures Act only applies to this fact in this case because of the extraneous efforts of the landowner to try prohibit
2: putting up a fence, yeah mm-hmm.
0: putting up a fence where there there were no cattle okay, right at the at the other than at the corner. The landowner didn't do the rest of this. He didn't run chains and padlocks and big, tall posts. Mm -hmm. So I'm prepared for a court that might say, landowner, come on, man, you're you're out of line here. You have violated the Unlawful Enclosures Act here.
2: Well, a, a question we have is, if you have violated the Unlawful Enclosure Act, can you still be guilty? Uh, can you still be found to have violated a state civil trespass law? That's, and and my take on that, uh-huh. and it's just my take, is that that cannot; those two situations cannot exist simultaneously. So, so if
0: a landowner has violated the Unlawful Enclosures Act by taking such extraneous efforts. You, you're thinking that, that that's, the, the default is the, the hunters then are not guilty.
2: Not not of a civil trespass. But that's a guess, Randy. Yep. We don't have that definitive in black and white. Right. But one thing to remember, too, in this case we have here with uh, with Mr. Eshelman and, and this ranch, he also wants an injunction against the hunters. Right. Saying, dude, you can't do this. It's a civil trespass, mm-hmm. and a court is now ordering you not to do it on my land. Right. So that's a way a landowner could keep at least individual named defendants out. Right.
0: And then if that gets appealed and that rationale stays as being applied to the 10th circuit or wherever. Now I'm thinking about all of this in a context of, in the reason I spend so much time illustrating how ridiculous this corner is is there's going to be a lot of corners. The number of corners of these intersections, very few. Like, A, probably on one hand I can count corners I've encountered that are as ridiculously obstructed as what this landowner did. All the other corners, the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of other intersecting corners don't have that. Right. So can I take the facts and circumstances of this case that has a really ridiculous obstruction and (laughs) imply that the same logic or outcomes are there when there's nothing but a monument marker, a post in the ground, you know, a little survey marker in the ground or there, there is an obstruction, but it's a fence that's a legitimate fence for the purpose of keeping someone's cattle off their neighbor's place or off other federal mm-hmm. grounds where they don't have the grazing
2: allotment. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's pretend we're truckers. Okay, okay. And, truckers. The, and the answer to your question is, that's a big nugatory, good buddy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, you, you, you know, It depends how this case shakes out. Yeah. But you cannot extrapolate from this case... To an unprotected, um, an unprotected corner yeah. in the Bighorns, right. in the Crazies, you can't. Right. Uh, we the, the, don't know the answer to that now. The way it ultimately might be decided in the Tenth Circuit mm-hmm. or in the Supreme Court might answer that question. It, it might.
0: And so, that, my point of of exploring all of these possibilities is to get the audience thinking about. This is a very complicated. Piece of law and don't think that there's just this simplistic answer to all of it because in today's world i'm guilty of it i try to solve really complicated issues with simple answers <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and, and and it is, it is that, a complicated issue
1: yeah this this is i mean they're like tom said there's not a um Simple answer: We don't. We don't get the uh, decision out of this case at the federal district court in Wyoming, and suddenly know the answers for everything, everywhere throughout the West, wherever we have a checkerboard. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's based on uh, the facts of the case that are in front of the court, and or the facts that the jury find if the jury uh, gets to, to hear the case, and that's that's going to be the scope of of what's decided. Yeah. Nick, uh, you pointed out before we got on
0: on the record button there that one thing that's unique about this case compared to some of the other unlawful enclosure cases is this is two private parties. The right. plaintiff and the defendant are private parties. And in many of the other cases, not all, but many of the other cases where the Unlawful Enclosure Act comes into play, it is the federal government as
1: one of the parties. That's right. The frequently, and again, like Tom said, we have 15 pounds of cases. <laughs> so, but but what you see uh, as a recurring theme is that it's the it's the federal government that brings the case. That's the plaintiff in the case, mm-hmm. and is uh, suing a, a a landowner or other private party for violation of the Unlawful Enclosures Act. Yeah, and saying you can't do this. You have to pull these fences out. Uh, you have to remove this obstruction. You got to let the antelope pass through your land. That's the Bergen case out of, out of Wyoming. Um, and here though, you have two private parties or it's two, two private people or entities on either side. And the government hasn't, hasn't brought this case. Uh, and that's why you had the fight. Um, like I mentioned earlier in this motion to dismiss about whether the, the UIA, the unlawful enclosures act could even be uh, raised by the, by the hunters, which the court said, yeah, you can do that. And in fact, it's, happened a long time ago in the in the Mackey case um but it's it's different because you don't have the government here you don't have the government trying to enforce the unlawful enclosures act what you have is a private party who's using the act as a defense right. against a trespass claim which is much different very very much different,
0: different. and uh, you guys have cautioned me don't necessarily read into all these UIA cases where the government is Take, you know, making a claim versus how it gets applied when you use it as a defense. It, it, that,
2: that's, that, that, that's true. I mean, it's it's still the act. Right. And and, and the federal law might well, well apply to the situation, but it's mm-hmm. raised in, as Nick points out, very different context than most of the cases decided under the Unlawful Enclosure Act.
0: Yeah. Well, the. I, out on my hunt talk forum, uh, I asked members, what are other questions you have that you want me to bring up with Tom and Nick? And so I sent some of those over this morning, and we kind of went down the path of damages and how damages are calculated and, and methodologies for that. One of the other questions that is a com- i'm i'm taking multiple questions and putting them in sort of common areas okay they, they they generally revolve around this is okay it's august we've got a ruling in this case every some group is out drinking in the streets <laughs> yeah look at this and one group is like son of a bitch mhm What's the likelihood that
1: it just—that's the end of it? It seems small in a case like this. Yeah, because of the this is this is what I would call uh, a test case, um, which is a term that gets thrown around to, to talk about a, a a lawsuit that's really designed to sort of test a fundamental principle of law or to figure out an issue that's 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 difficult. I don't know that it was intended that way, but what we have here is by the fact, you know, evidenced by the fact we've spent a lot of time talking about it uh, today and in podcasts before uh, this really fascinating and important legal question that has a huge amount of importance to public land users and has a huge amount of importance to private land owners. Uh, And uh, and so it it draws a lot of attention and people are going to uh, take ideas or conclusions away from it regardless of of what happens and because that's the case that you know we seem to find ourselves in here it seems to me pretty likely that you have an appeal uh, after the case uh wins its way to the conclusion in the federal district court yeah Uh, it it could be wrong on that it's just prognostication but i would guess it's a it's a better than usual chance that you have an appeal coming from from this case yeah
2: and, yeah. and and that appeal to the Tenth Circuit may or may not result in an opinion that answers more questions. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> maybe. And, and, and even if it does, if it goes up to the Supreme Court, um, that will either answer some or raise more. Right. Uh, we don't know, and that's the reason that I especially have been, have been ringing this caution bell. Yeah. Is that it's we don't have re, we don't have answers yet. Yeah. We w- we're going to have some. But it's nothing's been answered at so, this point that So, be my,
0: my take. I, I, if, I had, if I could go down to Vegas and bet that <laughs> if, if this case comes out adverse to the plaintiff, i.e. the landowner, and I look at who have been filing briefs as, you know, what do they call them, amicus briefs? Am- Am- amicus. Yeah, said, friends of the court. <laughs> and because Backcountry Hunters and Anglers has filed one on behalf of the four hunters. Mm-hmm. There have been multiple, I don't know if they've been accepted, but there have been multiple briefs filed by landowner groups and others in Wyoming. And I don't know, you know I read about them, but I, I haven't followed and don't understand well enough if they've been accepted by the court. Uh, the amount of money and value that is at question by the landowner side of this, based on their assumption that, oh, we'll win or we'll be able to have quasi-ownership of all this federal land, That's, that dollar amount is so large that I would bet, if not that Vegas is going to let me bet on this, but I'd bet $10,000 that this case gets appealed if this court fi- has a finding that is adverse to the landowners,
2: that that's probably a good bet,
0: I, and I think I'd I'd win that bet, and that's why I don't think Vegas is going to let me go down right. and, and
1: lay money on that. You'd have to do a lot of explaining uh, to your bookie about how <laughs> this bet was going to work and, and what this <laughs> case was. You could give him the podcast, and then yeah, that'd, that'd be tough. <laughs> yeah, but then he wouldn't take my bet. Yeah. So, uh, well, it may be also
2: be true though. Two things: it may be true if the, if the plaintiff wins. Well, uh, if the plaintiff wins, the hunters might it, take it up. It, exactly. Because
0: that, that was my next
2: yeah, point. Yeah, there, no. there, there are a lot of public land uh, groups and yeah. conservation groups supporting the hunters. Yeah. One thing I will mention: what's the name of the system, Nick? You go into to be able to access federal dockets? Still Pacer? Pacer. Yeah, yep. Pacer. There's a Pacer system. Yeah. You can go to the, go to the federal courts and find it, and we've done it. It'll show you that every every paper filed in this case in the docket, it's listed. Really?
0: Have, mm-hmm. Does it have the? Yeah. Have they filed or submitted to that system the the rationale or the basis for the
1: damage claim? We do have a, uh, what I've, what I've seen, uh, in looking at that, at Docker report, you have what are, what's called an expert witness disclosure right. from the ranch. Yeah. And one of those disclosures is from, I believe a real estate broker. Yeah. And, uh, the, the opinion there, uh, as best I can glean it is that, uh, in, in this broker's professional, uh, estimation, the, if, if you have to market or sell, uh, ranch properties or lands, uh, under the, under the rule that, uh, the public gets to corner cross and Mm -hmm. that's, and that's, and that's totally legal. Uh, that would lead to a devaluation in, in what you could list them for of, of, uh, I think around, uh, 30% or something like that. I might, I might not have that exactly right, but that's the, that's the, that's the general, uh, Summary of, of what that opinion appears to be yeah I, I I need to find a way to get into that and read it because it,
0: this is where as accountants we nerd out on that stuff, right uh, well,
2: those lawyers do yeah
0: yeah uh, mm-hmm. the the court accepting an opinion usually is dependent upon the qualifications of that person uh, and if I was the the defendants, i wouldn't just rely on a ranch broker because a ranch broker has a vested interest in this. So their objectivity in the eyes of a court or a jury is going to be less. It's like, well, I make commissions on this. I, you know, I, I've got a reason to say the way I do. Uh, if I was the defendants, I would get some very well-respected appraiser, who's probably got opinions out there, whose opinions have been relied upon in other federal cases, maybe tax court cases, maybe otherwise, uh, I'd go hire them as my expert witness because they have professional standards that they're held to. I'd go hire a, a CPA who's an absolute expert in calculating damages and things like this no, oh. because CPAs, again, have professional standards of objectivity and such. Mm-hmm. Ranch brokers, nothing against ranch brokers, but their professional standards usually aren't uh, objectivity, independence, other stuff.
2: And they're not as articulated as, this, and, exactly. as as those for CPAs. Well, and that's one of the reasons you have a jury. Mm-hmm. A, a ranch broker can be a phenomenal expert at times too. Mm-hmm. And right. the jury will say, I believe you. Mm-hmm. or they won't. I want to go back to this one thing about PACER, though. Mm-hmm. Um, the PACER system. Yep. If your listeners want to see what's filed in this case, and yeah. it includes amicus briefs filed by the uh, Wyoming Stock Growers Association and the wool growers, for example, yep. they ask the court, could we file a brief? The court either says yes or no. Right. And if the court says yes, there's their brief. Now and and so you can read all the amicus briefs that are filed as this case goes along. Okay. Surprisingly to me, the wool the wool growers and the uh, stockmans, uh they don't take a position on the uniform or the unlawful enclosure act. Really. They say we're not making any statement about that. We're just talking about the state of Wyoming law and trespass. And they're trying to say that. They're trying to say that this is a trespass. Okay. Uh, so and and if 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 um. And there's actually a brief on file, I forget the guy's name, a firm out of San Francisco. Right. F- file. Eric. Yeah, mm-hmm. Eric yeah. filed a brief on behalf, of the, on behalf of the hunters. So it's accessible to every one of your readers okay. if they want to look at it. And one point I'll make is that with this huge cloud of talk, talk, talk about what's going on here, you want to really get down to the nitty-gritty and the essence of what's going to be decided and what's at issue, go to PACER, read okay. the complaint, read the, read the answer and, and those papers. That will really narrow issue for you how do you spell that p-a-c-e-r
1: p-a-c-e-r right P-A-C-E-R, some... p-a-c-e-r yeah and you can i mean if you google that it'll it'll pop up or i um, trying to think what the best way to to get there is but it's probably it's probably google but you'll i think your listeners listeners will want to be sure too that they've got the the wyoming uh federal court uh pacer system is is what they're looking at, which again they should be able to figure out with a little bit you of probably. Googling. Just
2: call the federal district court for the district of Wyoming, and they can get you signed up for it. Okay. Uh, and, and instead of drinking flagons of beer and <laughs> arguing about what the hell's going on, they they'll save a bunch of money that way, and they'll really know. They'll really know.
0: <laughs> well, I before we. We're getting close to getting through our outline, and you guys have seen me over here writing notes and and scratching on my my work papers here. Uh, I, I started down this process of appeals, and then I got di- distracted from from that and went down another rabbit hole. Uh, and Adam on my website said, whatever you do, keep going down those rabbit holes. You always come back to the outline just <laughs> when you're really getting into the thick of it. Uh, but for the case, for the purpose of of kind of walking through this logically, it's, I started to say, hey, it's August. We've got this these findings and I want to go down to Vegas and bet on this. Uh, but I'm not going to get a chance to go to Vegas and bet on it. <clears throat> but what oh, you, you guys mentioned, this is in the 10th circuit. Uh, so if someone doesn't like this case, they can appeal it to the 10th circuit court of appeals. Is that correct? Yes. And that court would either accept or reject it.
1: They have to the accept. The court it. has to, yep. The so
0: so they could reject the
2: appeal. No, no. The 10th well, circuit, have circuit to, has, to has to take it. it.
0: Okay. So mm-hmm. they have to take it. And they either agree with the the findings of the district court or they disagree, issue their reasons why, and they send it back to the district court. Is that? Uh,
1: oh. It's an option. This is where we can get way into the weeds about oh, yeah. what can happen <laughs> right. on an appeal and, and uh, what gets appealed and how that might affect it. But I'll set the table this way. We talked about uh, you could have a decision in this case based on uh, one party or the other's motion for summary judgment. Mm-hmm. Let's say that happens. You have a final opinion from the court that says, this is the way uh, that this hash is out. This is final. This case is, is done and, and dusted and dismissed. Um, that's appealable as, as of right up to the, to, up to the circuit court to 10th circuit court. And the the circuit court would then take up the review of that case based on the issues that were appealed uh, by, by one part of the other or both and uh, review what the, what the district court had, had done. It's, it's rationale, it's legal conclusions and, and, uh, and thinking as outlined in its written decision and say, well, we agree or disagree, or we agree in part and disagree in part. And depending on what the circuit court does there, it can say, all right, we affirm this district court got it right. Case is all done. Uh, we, uh, we agree in part and we uh, disagree in part. So we're going to send it back down to the district court to, for some further review potentially, or just to say, here's what it is now. This is our opinion. And it's, it's a little different than the district courts, but that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Or it could say, you know, we, we disagree and, and here's why. And, and this is, and this is the, thou will come here. Right. Um, so that's one way that it can, that it can go on an appeal. Another thing that can happen is you get to a jury trial and that process goes through, the the jury does what it does, which is find the facts and apply the law to the facts, the law as is instructed by the court. And that can be appealed as well. Uh, But that's a little bit of a different type of appeal because there you're dealing with a a jury verdict. And in that instance, there's quite a bit more deference to what the jury has done, uh, then you would have uh, a circuit court apply to what a, a district court had, had done on a order on summary judgment. Okay. Um, so the arguments there may be a bit more limited and they would probably focus on how the jury was instructed or what the court decided that the law was. And again, okay. you could have uh, the, the outcomes uh, that I talked about before. Yeah. So uh, that's a little bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, the the short and dirty of it is that, yep, there's a right to an appeal. It can go up. The circuit can say okay or no an okay, and uh, that may be the rule then too. Yeah. So this happens, again, I'm
0: saying August. We don't know for sure it's going to be August, but looking at the court calendar, hopefully that's where we're at. Uh, one party or the other says, uh, ah, there's parts of this I don't, I don't like or all of it I don't like. I'm going to the 10th circuit. What's the time frame for that? Is it another year, two
2: years? Oh, I bet it's at least a year.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'd hesitate to, to give a firm time frame on but it. But it's not going to be two months.
2: No. No. We, we know for sure no. it's
1: not going to be two months or no. three months. It, it will take some time because what, what has to happen on an appeal is uh, the party appeals or one or both of them raise an appeal. They go up to the circuit court. Uh, and then you go through uh, a briefing process in front of the of the circuit court, uh, uh, the judges there, where one party, uh, just like happened in the in the district court with a motion dismissed, they say, here's our arguments about why we should win. Then the other party has a chance to respond to those arguments, and then the the final go is the the first party saying, actually, this is why they're wrong and why we should win still. And that process will play out over the course of, I would guess, at least four to six months if I had to just make a back of the napkin calculation. Mm-hmm. And then you have the court has to take it under consideration once it's fully briefed yeah. and uh, think about it and issue a decision. Well, there's a real argument sometimes too. Exactly. And you might have a scenario where the court says, you know, we want to have uh, an argument uh, out loud in front of us about this issue. You got to have that happen and then you have the court consider it, and then you have the court issue its decision. So it has to go through another process. Okay.
2: And more amicus briefs, too. People, people interested organizations, can be file granted level. A, a right to file an amicus brief for the court to read.
0: And as if people aren't completely exasperated at that point, if you don't agree with the appellate court decision... You could, if you wanted to, ask the Supreme Court to hear it, and they would agree to or not agree to. And that's another expensive, long-winded process. Right. Yep. Yep.
2: That's, it's that. That's, and this may be a case they'd take. They might. Really? Uh, Yeah, they make a decision on what they're going to take. Yeah.
0: They yeah, a lot of people think the Supreme Court automatically has to hear every case that no is petitioned to them. They don't. They pick and choose which ones are going to hear. And right. they
1: hear a very small percentage of all the cases yeah. that are that are presented to them. Yeah. Vanishingly small. Yeah. So, that's the reason I I try
0: to paint all that as what the future might look like is Tom said that uh we are you said it's like going down a Big rapids in a canoe, and we're just partway through, uh, and we don't know yeah. what's at the bottom of the rapids or which fork of the you know around this rock or that rock it's going to lead us.
2: Yeah, or, it's it's it, we're in the middle of it. it. It the process has started, Randy. Like you know, all those let's all those statements like long journeys begin with the single step. Blah blah blah. Yeah. That's what this is. We're, yeah. we're underway right now, and and uh, the cake is not baked yet. Not not
0: baked so don't don't baked. start whipping up your frosting yet because the cake isn't even baked <laughs>
2: that's right because you might find your frosting in jail if, you, <laughs> if you're not careful
0: uh, any other thoughts that I think because that, where well, you're gonna get a chance to add more to this after the case is settled well, this the, summer the, so. I, I,
2: one point I'd make is this and and you and I chat about it earlier right now legislatures in Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, Colorado uh, are meeting right now. And, and this corner crossing issue is a big deal to people out here in yeah. the West. A big deal. Yeah. And, and state legislators can change the law about trespass, about yeah. corner crossings, and things like that. Yeah. And if you have an opinion or, or you, want, you want to try to influence their behavior, contact them. Yeah. So many people don't do it. Wealthy people oftentimes are talking to their legislators all the time. Yep. And uh, and they have big interests at heart, and, and legislation can be introduced to help them. And ordinary <laughs> folks, checkers in grocery stores, yeah, um, guys putting up drywall, yeah. right? Working on, on uh, gas rigs out, outside Gillette,
0: let's say. Yeah, or uh, the, the guy in Rollins or Rock Springs who's just... You know, we a gal who's yeah, just trying working to make, to make a living. Trying want, to make a, want, a want living. Want to go hunting
2: a, once in a while. Would like to get an elk to feed their family. Yeah. Guess what?
0: Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. You'll find courses by my buddy Corey Jacobson, Remy Warren, me, Hank Shaw, John barklow Jamie Tegan, and the list is growing and growing. And here's the other cool part: my buddy Corey, who founded the University of Elk Hunting Course, the popular course that is everything known about elk hunting. His course is now part of your subscription to Outdoor Class. So, all for one subscription. At one price, you get all of the Outdoor Class courses plus Corey's University of Elk Hunting. Go to OutdoorClass.com, use promo code Randy when you sign up, and you're going to save 20%. This will be great information for any hunter. Hunt Talk Radio is brought to you by Outdoor Class, an online learning platform that includes access to courses from some of hunting's most trusted experts. Outdoor Class now includes the University of Elk Hunting course from my buddy Corey Jacobson. All these courses in one single subscription at one price. Go to OutdoorClass.com and use promo code Randy to save 20% when you sign up. This is great information for any hunter at any level.
2: Eshelman has one vote. You have one vote. And if you've got 15 friends who vote like you do, and the rancher has none who will vote like him, you've got 15 votes ahead. Yeah. So I would suggest that people contact their legislators and express their wishes and desires and concerns. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, about this, because that could resolve a lot of these issues too. Courts are messy ways to resolve these kinds of disputes because yeah. you you're just presented with facts yep. of the case. But if it's important to you down in Rollins, yep. Rock Springs, Buffalo, yep. and you would like to have the law in Wyoming be clearer and maybe more favorable to hunters, contact those people because they will listen to you. And if you have 100,000, on your side, and you got four landowners that own half of Wyoming on the other, your legislators are going to listen to you.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good point, because uh, over the weekend, I was contacted by a Colorado representative. Uh, their, their group contacted me, which surprised me. It's like, I live in Montana. Why, why, yeah. why are you asking me to weigh in on the draft of a bill in Colorado? I'm not an attorney, I mean, I was flattered that they did, and I told them. However, my platforms can help clarify this, or, or you know, uh, accelerate or or f- forward this issue. Clarified in Colorado, you just count on me, count on my platforms, because the clarity of this to me is way, way. way. I, I I don't. And when I say this, uh, it's more important than what the end outcome is. No, I I want the public to have access to public lands. And that's why I do this. It's why I hire you guys as consultants to advise me on this. Spend so much time. Uh, But as someone who really values the law, I want it to be clarified. And I hope that clarification, and I'm, you know, I wouldn't spend as much time and money as I have if I didn't feel that the clarification was going to be to the benefit of, of us uh, public land users. But it, it did surprise me that uh, a legislator in Colorado, a Republican legislator, who happens to love hunting and wants public access, has a draft that got submitted yesterday that clarifies what this would be under Colorado law.
2: A corner crossing.
0: Yes. Both criminally, and then there's another section that says, so long as the party in question complied with the first part of the law, any claim tort damages shall be dismissed by the court. So it handled both the criminal and civil issue in one bill. Now, whether or not it will get any traction in Colorado... I I don't know. There are, I've got wind of two trespass bills being kicked around in the Wyoming legislature right now. And there is a bill draft in Montana. I haven't seen. It's a placeholder, right? Uh, in Montana, we call them LC, and its you know status of it is being drafted. And it says something to the effect of protect property rights for exclusive use or something like that. That did not sound very good. No for public it, access. No, <laughs> it, that one. You know, I was talking to some of the. They don't like being called lobbyists, but that's what I'm going to call them. They like being called consultants. Uh, I've talked to some of the people involved in in that one. And what it is, is they're asking for a change to the Montana Constitution that would grant exclusive use to a real property owner. So you think where that would go in Montana? A public
2: land within inside of no, ranch? No,
0: no. Uh, that there, there. It's saying that we want to grant exclusive use to private property owners, and therefore it would get rid of our stream access law. It would get rid of our oh, any prescriptive easement claims. It would get rid of you know things like corner crossing and uh, so. The, the, it sounds really good to those of us who are private property owners. They get rid of zoning and planning, right? It, 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 we're undergoing oh, I, a, I, immense pressures from growth and development in Montana. Wow. The the way they're... And I, I know some of the people who are advising the sponsors of this bill. It's like, what's the motive here? And there's always the pause, and you get into these little jousts, and... While you joust, you quickly realize what the motives are. Uh, So so your point though, Tom, state legislatures will have a huge impact on this. And that's part of my motivation of trying to bring the facts, the law, the understanding of this rather than just, I want to win. We all want to win, right? We all want our opinion to prevail. But just this case is not going to decide everything. After this case is settled, after the appeals are settled, there's still going to be a huge body of effort on both sides, maybe, or at least one side or the other, to try chisel away at this. And part of my purpose for doing this on these podcasts is I want my platforms to be respected for the fact that we are here trying to get the best information to our audience and our listeners, and you guys have been a huge help in that.
2: Oh, I'm we're happy to happy to do it. It's
0: and and our uh, pleasure.
2: And and, and and you have just made a point we've made it throughout this podcast. There's a process by which courts make decisions. There's a process by which states pass laws. Yeah. Uh, and and shouting down at the cannery on a Friday night. Which it, is a bar here in Bozeman. Which is a bar here in Bozeman, a, a well-respected bar, yes. long tradition. <laughs> but standing up and, and shouting about, here's the way you'd like to see things go, is not gonna get you anything except maybe beat up, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but if you wanna make a change, if you, if you want to see how this stuff with trespass and corner crossing might be affected by your state legislators, talk to them. Yeah, that's what you need to do. You, uh, as much as I like um, Fletcher down at the uh, at the yep. cannery, uh, yeah. standing up and with a beer and yelling is not going to help you. But you know what? Calling, calling your local legislator.
0: Yeah,
1: will. Yeah, and and not to don't hesitate to. As it's obvious from our discussion, these are complicated topics. But don't don't hesitate to dive in and, and read about yeah. them. Educate yourself about them. Spend the time. Ah, uh, because that's really where I think the, like you say, Randy, um, uh, we we see solutions is where uh, folks are are learning about the complexities of the issue and are engaged with it and thinking about uh, all the interests that are at play and and trying to be good educated citizens and and be involved in the process. Yeah, well, <clears throat> we've also
0: received the benefit of a couple law professors that. You guys know, oh, we have. and I'm very thankful for them weighing in on this. They've provided us a lot of very, very good information. Uh, the last two podcasts, Tom, you, you said, no, we're not going to name our firm here in Bozeman. <laughs> and then this morning, as I show up here, two of your associates are like, well, why don't you let the world know at least what law firm is helping you on this, Randy? I said, well, Tom didn't want to do that. So, you can either decline again or, yeah. or, or you can, can do it. But. No, I've, I've, I've
2: got bruises to show that I've changed my mind, Randy. <laughs> from, my, from my colleagues, we're, uh, uh, Nick, and I, Nick is a partner and I'm of counsel now, uh, was one of the founders of this firm. Uh, it's Tarlow, Stone Cipher, Weimer, and Kelly in there Bozeman, Montana.
0: There you go. Th- thank you. Yeah. Uh, and I also want to thank some other people uh, besides you know, the, all the work that you guys have helped me with here. Uh, there are 400s from Missouri who have subjected oh, wow. themselves to a significant amount of, of grief and stress and potential financial loss. Uh, the fact that they have went through the way they have is inspiring and impressive. Uh, you know, I mentioned that I would planned to do this, but I was told, no, one, this will never end up in federal court. You're just, you know, it does you no good to subject yourself to all this if it violates your principle of civil trespass, which I was told it would. And if if it's a criminal case or a small case in Gallatin County, Park County, Montana, why would you do this? So these guys... whether by intent or just through perseverance, they and their supporters have allowed this case to go where no attorneys I'd talked to saw it going, that being to the federal level. Mm -hmm. Uh, So thanks to them, uh, Wyoming chapter of backcountry hunters and anglers have primarily funded or been the ringleaders for funding the defense of these guys of these four hunters uh and there are two guys in wyoming uh jeff murator and buzz headache who have really led that charge and uh you know for me it's created a weird situation for me because Mm. i'm like the public land advocate right it's what i've used my platforms for all the time but i've always been cautious that i don't let my desired outcomes get in the way of my principles of property rights and so it's 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 been a challenge for me to say, all right, I want to go and be the cheerleader to say, we need this outcome. Well, what if that outcome is adverse to what the law says? And so it's been complicated for me to have to make that analysis. And that's why last summer when Nick, you and I started talking about this stuff, I didn't even know that this these hunters had done this the case popped up in like october of of the year before uh but it is what it is and i'm i'm thankful for the fact that through the perseverance of those groups and those people uh this is in federal court and i'm fully prepared that maybe i don't get the outcome in the court or through the appeals that I would like to see for the public to have completely uninhibited access across these corners. That's what I want. That's why I hired a law firm Oof. eight or nine years ago to advise me on it. Uh, but I'm prepared for the fact that maybe that's not the case. And as much as I hope for that outcome, I I am not going to... Uh, dispose of my adherence to the law and what property rights represent in this country. So to your point, Tom earlier, you've cautioned, you said, Hey, you know, at where we are right now, don't anybody go out and think that you can read into this beyond what, what we actually have in front of us. So, uh, it's it's like you guys said. This is so intriguing. This is why you would want to become an attorney. I you've got me. You've not got me to that point yet, Tom. I don't want to become an attorney.
2: <laughs> right, but look how much that's, better we're dressed than you, Randy. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, that, that could be it. I, I you know I, I am. It's lawyers should all respect process, and the thing that's why we're in it. And the thing that, from what you have just said, that I respect immensely is. We've got a process. We've got a way of dealing with disputes. We've got a set of laws about property and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But that's the way this system works. And if you want to throw the process out, if you don't want to honor the process, how do you ever resolve questions like this in a civil way or move to change the law? Yeah. Good on you. Good on you. And thank you for (laughs) involving us in this. This is... Yeah, terribly important stuff, and um, we, we
1: we love like, it. We love it. Yeah, yep. we are really. doing it. Really? Oh yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's a weird, weird kind of love, but yeah. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you guys have been a
0: huge help, uh, and I look forward to podcast number four. Once his case is, is settled at this level, um, then we'll explore what options are available, and maybe by the time we get there, someone will immediately say, I'm going this path or I'm going that path. Uh, a question, If you, is there a statute of limitations upon when you have to file notice that you intend to appeal? Usually
2: 30 days after a decision, 30 to 60 days. you got to okay. file a notice of appeal to preserve your right.
0: Okay, so we'll wait that long after the case before we meet so that we know if somebody is appealing, and, and then whatever that entire process is. And uh, this is, uh, you know, as someone who's viewed all these checkerboard lands and tried and wished and hoped that somehow we'd find a solution to it, uh, I hope that happens in this case, that we find a solution to it. Maybe we find that there is not the solution I hope for. Uh, and probably the thing that is going to weigh on hunters is if we find, if the solution becomes that, yes, this is civil trespass, but the damages are de minimis or zero, every hunter's going to have, or public recreationist is going to have to decide the same thing I had to decide back eight or nine years ago when I told this was told, this was civil trespass with a very low damages. Would you then cross at that corner if you knew it was civil trespass, even if the damages were close to zero? If the damages are high, it's going to be an easy decision. I don't want to pay $5,000 for every corner I cross. Mm. But I think there's a possibility here that we end up having to make some decisions ourselves of where we're at on that. If, Possibly. Uh, yeah. So, anyhow thanks so much guys gosh this is fun i i had a root canal yesterday <laughs> that's what you, and that's this what is you not said. as painful uh no not nearly as painful Good. Uh, yeah, have you guys it. ever had a root canal not me i don't this know this was my first one and uh last night after all the novocaine or whatever sedation mm. whatever, whatever it is it wore off <laughs> I remember exactly what time I did it. I bit down on that tooth in my sleep oh, and no. I woke up at 3.37 this morning. <laughs> what the hell happened? And I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's what happened. I was worried it was gonna be swollen and sensitive and I wouldn't be able to talk today. I'm like, how the hell am I gonna do a podcast? If, oh, I'm, yeah, if the yeah. host can't even talk, I'd have to hand it over to you guys be a boring podcast come on (laughs) well thanks so much guys folks thanks for listening uh i hope you're getting some benefit out of these uh this podcast here number three and uh sometime in 2023 i'm sure you're gonna get podcast number four and uh thanks for being here when the
1: sun